This is 10 Minutes of Science, a Women in Ophthalmology initiative supported by Johnson & Johnson. We have invited ophthalmologists who are leaders in their field to discuss a journal article of their choice. My name is Robin Troutbeck. I'd like to introduce Anchel Gupta. She is a cataract, corneal and refractive surgeon based in Adelaide with a keen interest in customised laser ablation. She is the Director of Training for the South Australian Training Program in Ophthalmology and a Senior Clinical Lecturer at the University of Adelaide. She was the first surgeon in South Australia to perform decime stripping endothelial keratoplasty and topography-guided PRK and carer ring implantation for the management of keratoconus. Welcome, Anshel. Thank you so much, Robin, for having me on this podcast. Could you begin by telling us the name of your article and why you chose it? My article is um, on clinical results of topography-based customised ablations in highly aberrated eyes and keratoconus with cross-linking. Um, I chose this article. It's very dear to my heart. Um, it's written by the group of surgeons that I trained with in my fellowship in Vancouver. And um, I think it's, it's, it's really what got me particularly interested in refractive surgery. Um, it's always been thought of as quite an automated, you know, sort of push a button and uh, we get an outcome. But um, the paper as well as my fellowship highlighted to me that um, there's a lot more that we can do using laser platforms than just routine vision correction. Um, and that's what really it's about is treating corneas that are not normal um, and making them better without necessarily needing to reach out to corneal transplant, et cetera. Can you tell me more about the study? What, what, how did they design it? Um, so the study was really just a retrospective sort of case series of eyes that um, had various um, issues such as irregular astigmatism or decentered ablations from previous um, refractive surgery, patients with irregular astigmatism post-radial keratotomy, and also patients with keratoconus or post-lasic ectasia. So it was really looking at doing this customised ablation using topography-guided technology, which I'm happy to go into, and using that to normalise the shape of the cornea but also treat refractive error at the same time. Did the patients who they treated with keratoconus, did they treat um, with cross-linking at the same time or had they already had been cross-linked prior to the, um, the ablation? So in this particular case series, um, it was simultaneous treatment with the PRK and cross-linking in the same sitting. There have been previous papers where people have reported doing the cross-linking first and then subsequently doing PRK. The, of course, it's important, um, particularly in progressive ectasia, to cross-link these patients before or such that they're not progressing in an ongoing way. What did their results show? With most of these patients in all the various groups, there was um, improvement in vision across all groups. So, for example, particularly with the keratoconus group, over 60%, nearly 60% of the eyes had uncorrected visual acuity of 6, 12 or better, which is essentially, you know, driving level vision. And many of those eyes um, were those that had actually gained vision. And that's the important thing in all of this is that you're taking patients who otherwise would need to resort to a rigid contact lens or a corneal transplant. And they really um, are patients who have been intolerant to 
uh, RGP and have no other choice but to either not see well or wear glasses with suboptimal vision and improving their vision from their baseline. So did they show an improvement across all the conditions that they treated? Yes, absolutely. And um, it is a little bit complicated going into each of those, but um, with all groups, there was at least 80 to 90% of patients who achieved 612 or better. What I guess could have been done a little bit better in the paper was sort of giving some clear understanding of pre-op levels versus post-op levels of vision. Um, So that really comes from looking at, you know, how many patients had an improvement from baseline. So again, across the groups, there was at least 80 to 90% of patients who had 612 or better. In many of the groups, there was 75 or better. So it really did vary from group to group. But I would say across the board, at least, you know, certainly for decentered ablations, optical zone enlargement, uh, irregular astigmatism, um, 90% of the eyes were 612 or better and 75% were 66 or better. But the keratoconus group, they don't do quite so well. So that was a little bit less with 60% of eyes being 612 or better and, and 92% of eyes were 612 or better corrected. We have to look at what the baseline of these patients is how complicated their uh, corneal astigmatism is and seeing how much we can, you know, improve that. So it's always limited by multiple factors. Were their results sustained? My thought in the past has always been you would never do any ablation on a patient who has keratoconus. So this really changes the whole, everyone's original thinking. Did there, were there good results sustained? Did things change over time? Yeah, so in the study, only sort of 12-month results were reported. And I think that, you know, that is one of the things about this paper is kind of quite seminal amongst a couple of other papers that were sort of reported at the time using uh, Lay John Canlopoulos as well as uh, Dr. Arthur Cummings. And um, John Canlopoulos, in fact, has recently published his 10-year data with about 150 eyes it was published earlier this year or end of last year where he shows excellent stability um, of patients with keratoconus who are having this combined treatment. So I think that, you know, this is certainly not now a new concept and, you know, whilst was very much kind of um, almost a taboo. And um, in fact, my talk at Oscars last year was on this topic and the topic name was given to me by Dr. Barrett. Um, it was called Breaking Taboos, Doing Laser and Keratoconus. And, you know, I think that with the advent of cross-linking, it is something that is um, that is perhaps going to become more and more feasible. And even in my own patient cohort, uh, having followed a lot of these patients for over five years, they certainly remain stable. The one downside of doing it is, in fact, that some people do too well and they kind of go the other way. There's a bit of a flattening effect from the cross-linking so they can almost, um, some of them can become hypermetropic post-treatment um, and that can be quite challenging to deal with. So in this paper, what mm. were the author's conclusions? Um, essentially, they said that uh, topography-guided treatment, um, particularly sort of in keratoconus and ectasia, is very safe, very effective. Um, and, you know, you can treat a wide range of patients with irregular corneas with this technology successfully. What I would also say, though, is that it, again, is not, uh, you know, the important thing that was described in the paper was the um, 
the neutralization technique that is that has been devised by Dr. David Lin, who's the primary author on the paper. And that is something that is unique to his nomogram and the way that he performs the treatment and the way that has been done for all of these patients. So all topography guided treatment is not the same. And the important thing to remember is that when you're correcting someone's topography, you're also at the same time inducing refractive error from the shape change that that cornea is going to undergo in correcting that topography. And that is the key in terms of having successful outcomes. Um, because if you can't compensate for that refractive change, then um, you'll end up with some strange results. And, you know, that is really sort of the nuts and bolts of the paper is how do we do this and how do we do it well? Um, and uh, there's only really a couple of people, um, including Dr. Lynn, uh, who, who do this routinely and who have described this really successful technique. So is it all based on algorithms that are input into, into the laser or is it a stage sort of procedure? Um, so in, in the paper, and that is um, his TNT method, as it's called, um, it's all done in one treatment. And again, that's sort of the key to it all. Um, it's an algorithm that he has developed for himself, which is called the topography neutralization technique. And um, it's really looking at how to look at these sort of raw ablation profiles, which are um, going to correct the shape of the cornea, um, accounting what refractive change that's going to induce, and then how much of the patient's refraction to add on, um, and how to kind of bring it all together into one treatment. And can you use his algorithm? Is it made publicly available? A really good question. So for people who, like myself, who've trained with him, you know, this is something that we have been trained in that I understand. Another one of my colleagues, Dr. Greg Maloney, who's also an author on the paper, you know, was trained in this technique, but it's it's not one that is openly available. It's certainly described in the paper, but it really does take a good understanding of um, the principles of the treatment before you can sort of successfully do it. So I think it, it doesn't just require sort of reading about it. It's, it's really kind of spending time looking at how these treatments are done and then being able to sort of implement them in your practice. I know that I think Tanya is also giving a podcast later and uh, she has um, been performing this treatment under his guidance as well. So have you got any take-home messages for our listeners? I think for the general ophthalmologists, it's, it's just good for them to know that this option exists for patients with aberrated corneas. You know, when we see patients who they might be referring for uh, rigid contact lenses because they have irregular astigmatism for one reason or another, uh, particularly keratoconus, and those patients aren't successful or may not wish to pursue that uh, contact lens wear, that this is certainly an increasingly great option. And I know that in Adelaide, certainly I have a cohort of uh, ophthalmologists who will refer to me these sorts of patients for the treatment. And when they see successful outcomes, hopefully they'll sort of gain a bit more confidence in uh, what is being done. And Shell, can you tell us the difference between topography-guided ablation versus wavefront-guided ablation? 
Yeah, really good question, um, Robin. So topography-guided treatment is very much based on the patient's topography only. So we're just really looking at the um, corneal aberrations, whereas um, wavefront is to do with the whole eye. So the important thing there is that wavefront can really um, be quite a dynamic change in the eye. So it can really vary depending on the position of the eye, the accommodative state of the eye. And really what you're trying to do is build in the aberrations of the whole eye, but perhaps onto the cornea. And it's actually not quite as successful as you would think. And people have completely moved away from wafer guided ablations, not only because of the dynamic nature of it um, and perhaps less accuracy in terms of what's being delivered, but also the acquisition of wavefront can be quite difficult. Um, so you need to have the patient's people dilated. It takes time and it can be quite difficult in highly aberrated corneas in particular. So for this particular um, you know, instance where you're trying to treat irregular corneas, topography guided is certainly far superior um, with, uh, with better outcomes. Thanks so much for coming along today, Anshel. We've all learned something. Thank you so much for having me and I'd love to talk to you more about it another time. Thank you for joining us today on 10 Minutes of Science. See you next time.